Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as a primary, a, a primary, primarily a sexual communication, sexuality communication resource, um, specifically for anyone who's navigating SCI stigma, primarily people who are living with the herpes virus, uh, who've been diagnosed genitally. And what I'm hoping that this tool does is support people through dating, relationships, and most importantly, their relationship to themselves um, and recognize any internalized stigma and be able to dissolve it within themselves so that they can go on out into the world and through their being just inspire allyship and for others to dissolve any internalized stigma within themselves that is how we don't necessarily end herpes stigma but we give people the tools resources and options in order for them to choose how they want to navigate it rather than just by default all right so here we have episode three of the Oregon Health Authority uh, series of podcast episodes. So I'm interviewing 12 people who live in the state of Oregon about their experience uh, just navigating their own STI diagnosis and any shame and stigma that they may have uh, experienced for themselves. Today we're here with Erin. Erin is 32 years old, a female, uses she, her pronouns, was diagnosed with genital HSV2, uh, is kind of kinky BDSM, like we're, we're kind of in there, uh, consider yourself to be sex positive. And uh, I can't remember the, the details of the other three. I think we'll get into those in more detail. But um, I am going to start out with just uh, you telling me about your interaction with the healthcare provider when you received your HSV2 diagnosis. And we'll just go from there. Mm-hmm. So my interaction when I was diagnosed, I had been showing symptoms for probably like a week and a half prior to when I actually went to Planned Parenthood because it was in the middle of the pandemic. This was April of 2020, so hardly anything was open and it was, I was completely alone. I lived alone at the time. I had lived, or I had broken up with my um, ex-boyfriend probably four months prior to that. Um, and I was having some fun, even in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I was feeling kind of lonely. So, As so many of us were. A lot <laughs> yeah. of us were lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived completely alone in a studio. So I was really isolated um, with my cat. Um, so I was um, feeling, you know, had some symptoms, um, felt like something was wrong. I, I was trying to like self-diagnose which was really scary via Google. Don't ever do that. <laughs> um, so I finally was able to get an appointment at Planned Parenthood, went in and um, I don't, I was, the whole, the whole thing for me was pretty traumatic just in general, just being really scared of what the outcome was going to be because I knew something was wrong and something was not adding up. Um, so when I got there and they were able to visually diagnose me, it was it was tough. Um, the nurse practitioner who examined me was new, and she needed to come. She needed to summon another nurse practitioner in um, for a second opinion. So not only did I have one person looking at me, I had two, um, and I just remember the second one going, "Oh, yep, that's her piece." <laughs> <laughs> and I just lost it um, because in my in my own mind that was like the worst possible 
outcome. And for even to say that now, it just seems like it seems silly. Like I could have had cancer. I could have had something that, that was going to take my life. Um, herpes was not that big of a deal. Why do you think that you responded to herpes in the way that you did? Just from education that I had as a as a preteen and young adult and into high school, that was always like, and I went to public school in California, that was always like the worst possible outcome for a human having sex was to get an incurable disease. And they called it a disease then, not an not a infection. Um, so that was something that scared me and it was, I felt like I, my life, my sex life was over. That's what I thought. That was the first thought that I had. And you say that you felt like your sex life was over. Why? Why did you think that? I was afraid that I would never be able to have casual sex the way that I did before. Um, I thought that because I had this diagnosis that I would be kind of, I would be alone. Like, I didn't think that I would be able to find a partner. I didn't think I would be able to um, have fun like I did when in reality it has not hindered me in the slightest. It's actually helped. (laughs) Two questions. One, I want you to continue to elaborate on how this has helped you because I'm very interested in hearing that side of this. And then I also want to like ask you a very pointed question which is do you think that you felt such a strong response to your herpes diagnosis because if someone were to have disclosed their status to you that you wouldn't have wanted to move forward with them (laughs) so I think it has helped me and that's kind of a two-part answer in relation to your second question because it has helped me be more accepting to myself and to others and really just shown me that it's you are not your diagnosis and in the beginning I was really private about um sharing my status even with friends but then as I started to share with my friends because I was sharing my experience that allowed me to be more open and not ashamed because it's not something to be ashamed of. And I know that in, in the years to come, I'm fairly young. I have some young friends. Like I know that in the future, this is probably going to happen to some of them too. And I feel like I was well-equipped to, after learning what happened and, and dealing with it, I feel well-equipped to help them, which is something that I'm you know, not looking forward to, but I feel like that's something that will be really helpful. Yeah. Um, and then the second part was basically if if someone had disclosed to me um prior to me being diagnosed I would have been afraid I wouldn't have known enough to make an informed decision about what that means and why it scared me but in reality it just would have been me being afraid of the unknown do you feel like that response was sort of internalized and directed at yourself like once you got your diagnosis the way Mm -hmm. that you felt about another person having herpes that you know would have told you that you put yourself in their shoes in react in an interaction with yourself Mm -hmm. so that you you were able to be like oh no I know how I'd feel (laughs) and I'd be scared of this exactly yeah totally I think I I really was like responding to 
I was responding the way that I was taught to fear something like that. Um, And yeah, nobody has ever disclosed having an STI to me prior to that. I was in a pretty serious relationship for almost six years. And then prior to that, I had almost no knowledge of what a disclosure was. That's not, you know, I didn't even think about it. I... I think I learned that term from Reddit and that's how I found this podcast and, and you specifically was through Reddit. That's the first place I went to. Um, after I remember the day, the day I got home, the afternoon I got home from Planned Parenthood with a little packet of information that they gave me, which was pretty pathetic photocopies. Yeah. Say and it. <laughs> I, I, I was, I had been, I'm not a not a crazy redditor, but I have been on subs before to look and see kind of what opinions are. But I found the r slash herpes sub, and I found your podcast. I think I could go back and look at like our DMs, but it was probably less than a week after my diagnosis. So that was, and I went and I probably listened to like fifteen or twenty episodes. Oh, good. Did you stop after that? Did I stop listening? Yeah. No, I, you can tell me you should no, stop no, because no, so, <laughs> that's what I want. Like I, I want people to come get what they need and then leave. Yes, that's what yes. I was. <laughs> no, so yes, and I haven't I haven't listened to the podcast in quite some time because I have like good eight or nine different podcasts that I can't keep up with in general. So I think as they those come up, um, yeah, I, I I really got what I needed in that moment. Yeah, um, was herpes your first STI diagnosis? Yes. Has this been your only STI diagnosis? Mm-hmm, it has. Um, I speak to this because I think that um, it was the CDC that says the Centers for Disease Control here in the United States, if anyone's listening from anywhere else, says that people who test positive for an STI are likely to get another STI. And I want to challenge that because I think that what happens is in my 250 plus podcast episodes and at this point, maybe tens of thousands of people that I've at some point connected with or touched base with about STIs, herpes, um, I'm learning that people are much more communicative. They learn to communicate. I think that more people are on the side of doing what they feel is morally and ethically right, which is learning how to disclose their SCI status, but also learning to hold themselves and their partners to a higher standard, a higher quality standard of being tested regularly, um, asking for a partner to be tested for SCIs before they become intimate. These are the kinds of things that like we don't learn or hear about after you test positive for an SCI. It's like we just throw all of us because I'm positive for HSV2 as well. We're just like thrown out of the conversation. Like the conversation is only meant for people who don't have an SCI and then if they get one, they better cure it. And then these are the things that they need to do to not get it again. But there's no mention on the STD prevention website that you can still get an SCI if you practice, you know, three or more of the STD prevention practices that the CDC says. Um, wear condoms, mutual monogamy, uh, HPV vaccine, get tested and know what your status is, be abstinent, like for how long, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, These are all things that, you know, if done, if communicated properly, yeah, they should reduce the risk of potentially contracting an STI. But 
there's no way to eliminate the risk. Like there is no elimination of the risk for getting an STI because not based off of those statements alone, because condoms break, they are not used properly, they fall off. You know, there's also the human error where you might think that you're in a monogamous relationship, but the other person might have other plans, right? So a lot of this really comes down to the kind of education that you may have received in your childhood. So uh, I want to speak to that a little bit here, if you don't mind sharing whatever it is that Mm -hmm. you can about what you remember about your Mm -hmm. sex education. I just remember, I think starting, I don't think in elementary school, we had some sort of sex education, but I don't remember there being a mention of any sort of STI or STDs. I think we were too young. I think it was more just uh, anatomy and puberty things like that but going toward junior high which was like seventh grade eighth grade I remember I think maybe in high school to ninth grade remembering um learning about different STIs or STDs and what each one was what the symptoms of each one were and why herpes was the worst one maybe HIV being a close second, but it wasn't really hit home. It was more like herpes was this incurable thing. You would have your your you have sores all over your um your nether region, and it wasn't even described in the right way. Um, even in my first initial outbreak, yeah, it was pretty bad, but each subsequential outbreak I've had has been maybe one sore that I barely notice. (laughs) I don't take um, any sort of medication either. It's not something I like to do. So it's just, I just don't, Um, I avoid that. But I, um, yeah, I remember remembering, I remember learning that that was not, you didn't want herpes Mm -hmm. because it was incurable. Yeah. And I think that the reason that HIV might've been a close second was because it's a gay disease. Right. Right. At that point in time, that's what we were taught. And the classroom setting is heterosexual. Like they are teaching heterosexual um, that this is what sex is. If you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. Exactly. Everyone. It's like that mean girls, that mean girls uh, sex ed. Like you will get chlamydia and you will die. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And. That speaks to the way that we don't talk about sex. And you mentioned um, how your STI status, your herpes diagnosis, did influence the way that you date and have done relationships uh, for the better. And I'm going to let you answer (laughs) before I, like, sneak in what I'm trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. what I'm pushing for my Mm -hmm. agenda. So can you talk to me about what your herpes diagnosis and the experiences after that have taught you about sex. And then we'll tie that back to what you learned about sex Mm -hmm. in your sex education. So in the beginning of my whole journey after diagnosis, like I kind of, it's like, I I classified as like before diagnosis and after because my life, exactly. (laughs) Because my, my life did change. And at first it, it felt scary. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be involved with anybody at first. It was like, I just want to be alone and kind of like be sad. And I let myself be sad for a little while. And then I got bored. 
as I do. And I decided to go on Positive Singles, as I think that's what it's called, and started going through that fun process of, of meeting. Fun other- is sarcastic. <laughs> she made a face when she said fun, just so you know. <laughs> um, well, I'll, um, I'll get to, to why it was fun, actually fun at, at one point. So I, I started meeting people going on dates, but I just kept finding, I kept running into the, the fact that it was really more of every time I would go out with somebody who I met from PS, it was like almost like a commiserating get together. Like we would talk about our diagnosis and which, which was helpful. Um, it didn't really do much good probably, but I got bored cause there weren't that many people on in my area. I had matched with somebody on there um, that I was interested in, but we never met up, Um, and I can kind of get into that a little bit later. I started to go um, on the regular dating apps again. I had used Bumble in the past. I had used Hinge. So what I just thought was using the tools that I gathered from Reddit on how to disclose and reading disclosure stories and successes and fails and all that, how I could do that myself. And I, I think I'm a pretty, I'm not a shy person. I'm pretty extroverted and I'm pretty confident in a lot of ways. So I felt like I could do that. Um, so I decided to do that. So I started, um, going on dates and this, this is where it kind of gets muddy for me because this was like the summertime and this is when stuff started opening back up for the first time after the first lockdown. So it was May, June of 2020, uh, going on dates and, Nothing was really that serious. But then I saw somebody on Bumble that I had seen on PS that I had originally matched with that I was interested in, and then he kind of disappeared. And I swiped right. Is that the way you do it? Swiped right. And we matched again on Bumble. And I knew that he had a positive status. Um, And that person actually turned out to be my partner who I'm here with today. And we are still together. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm so interested mm-hmm. in as short of a version as you can give mm-hmm. us what that story is. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So that's what, I mean, that's what it is. <sighs> we ended up um, meeting up for a date in, I think it was August of 2020. Uh, after we had previously matched on PS and then we matched again on Bumble. He swiped right on me first. He just kind of fell off the map. I didn't know what happened. Apparently he had gotten back together with an ex for a little bit of time. I know and, all about that. <laughs> and I was single, so I was just kind of doing my thing and I wasn't worrying about it. Um, and we got together, we went on a date and then that was it. We, we just, we fell in love. Um, like within the two week span of dating and we were exclusive. And then we've been dating for almost two years. Can we just, I want to, I want to like marinate and massage that portion where like y'all were both on positive singles. Mm -hmm. You had whatever your experiences were. You get off of positive singles. And we never met. And you find each other. No, no. Yeah. I just mean like you were having your own individual experiences. And that, that speaks volumes because, you know, stigma says, stigma makes us believe. I'm not going to say that that's what it says, 
that we need to date our own kind Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that we need to be responsible for not passing this on to anybody else. And we want to be the the superheroes who save the day, like us being the only person who has herpes and doesn't have sex with a person who doesn't have herpes or doesn't know whether or not they have herpes. It's not changing anything, (laughs) right? All it's doing is giving us one more poor way of talking to ourselves and Mm -hmm. beating ourselves down and lowering our standards and expectations to the point where we are so beat down that it's going to take anyone who just says, I like you or I don't care, that's who we'll find ourselves in a relationship. And what I love is that you didn't say this, but what I heard in your experience was that you were not limiting your dating experience to your diagnosis. Like, because I have this, this is going to be the now priority for the person that I'm I'm seeing or the people that I decide to give energy to. So I appreciate that for both of y'all. Like, I'm excited. <laughs> that's really, that's really, really cool mm-hmm. for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, what gave you the courage to get off of positive singles and onto regular dating apps? Just the fact that I, I, I felt equipped with how to talk about it and how to frame it in a matter of fact way rather than a, a a scared way of approaching it with, with males. Um, I felt like I could talk about it and if they weren't gonna move forward with me because of that then that was on them because like I know my worth I know what I bring to the table as a human being and I'm not my diagnosis Mm -hmm. and understandably if they don't want to expose themselves to that that's okay but at least I know my status and at least I'm not because the person who gave it to me either didn't know or they knew and they didn't tell me or maybe I had it before but I, I had never had an outbreak I seem to think it was the former that, or the second thing I said that the person knew and didn't tell me. Okay. But I, I know that I'm better than that. And now that I can't, I know I can tell people that I have this and that can inform them. And people just simply don't get tested for this. So they don't know. Yeah. Uh, Planned Parenthood didn't give you the tools that you needed in order to communicate about your diagnosis to partners? I I want to say they didn't. I, it could have been buried somewhere in those photocopies they gave me. But none of that stuff is up to date. I don't think it's helpful. I If I worked there and I was helping patients with their diagnosis, I would direct them to Reddit. Mm-hmm. When I guess that was a question on the survey as well. You know, what do you wish could have been different about your experience with the healthcare providers? Mm -hmm. I think I do remember some positive affirmation that the the lead nurse practitioner gave me, and she because I was crying, and she said she assured me that she knew many people who had this and many people who live quote-unquote normal lives with this and that it's not going to hinder you but I remember thinking that she was full of shit and I I didn't believe her it's funny because I was I was panicking they're like everybody has this I don't but yeah exactly (laughs) exactly yeah um that speaks a lot to how unequipped healthcare providers are to do their job in STD prevention because so often healthcare providers are 
the initial touch point of STI sigma for a person. So if someone is diagnosed with an STI or they have symptoms or they come in and they have questions, they're not equipped to answer the majority of it, like they can medically respond, oh, here's what the virus is, here's how it responds to you, here's what it does, here's the medication for it. But so much of practicing medicine is also in that that human piece. And what I'm hoping to teach people through these sort of simulated patient experiences with clinicians and healthcare organizations is that that human component comes first. Right. So the human who's coming in may be like, hey, I'm having these symptoms. Find out what's wrong. And then when you give them what's wrong, like you through the human element are able to give this person one identity validation and two, assist them with dissolving any internalized stigma that may come up so that they have at the very least the knowledge and understanding of how to speak about this to other people, whether they want to go home and talk to their family or a partner or, you know, moving forward, like how are they going to navigate their sexual relationships? Mm -hmm. So being able to talk through sexual health communication, uh, like you don't have to tell someone this is a verbatim conversation that you're going to have and this is what it's going to look like. But (laughs) at the very least, being able to demonstrate to them how to navigate that conversation and it doesn't have to be a 30 minute conversation i think that you know up to 10 minutes maybe max of speaking to how this might impact your communication because i think that that's what goes unchecked is how am i going to now communicate about sex because before your herpes diagnosis did you talk about sexual health and sci testing and get tested regularly with partners very rarely that mm. was something so i remember getting and this was prior to me getting together with my um ex boyfriend when i was 24 i think i was i think i was 24 at the time 23 or 24 um i had gotten tested maybe a couple times at planned parenthood when i would go get birth control cuz i used to take birth control pills and so that was kind of a a I hadn't had sex with that many people at that point, um, but I did. I remember getting tested. I don't think and that then, I even tested in that for herpes. In that statement, I haven't had sex with that many people, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't we just say I haven't had sex or, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sexually active. Mm-hmm. I'm sexually active or inactive. Mm-hmm. Leave it at that. Sorry, that was just something I felt <laughs> like I needed to Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have sex until I was 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and then in college or in I went to community college for like four years and then transferred to finish my bachelor's degree lived in Long Beach for a couple of years during that time I did date a guy down there this is when I was in California um but he he was older we I don't think I ever got tested before that it was it was only a couple of times yeah okay um and so since then, since your diagnosis, AD, after diagnosis, <laughs> uh, you have equipped yourself with a lot of the tools, resources, and primarily experiences, it sounds like, from being on Reddit, looking at the success stories, learning about disclosure, looking at the experiences that people shared on there. That's what equips you with the tools to navigate your status, right? hmm Now, if there was a resource to be created 
that would maybe condense those experiences. I guess, what would that look like for you? What Would that be in a pamphlet or would that be in your dialogue exchange with your healthcare provider? I think it should be something that is both sp- spoken and relayed or emailed or texted, however you could communicate it with somebody. Or in a podcast. Or in a podcast, that too. <laughs> um, I think any way to have multiple touch points because there's going to be there's going to be shock in in that in that day especially if you're I was visually diagnosed I they told me what it was they were 95 percent certain that this is what it was they still did a swab to culture but um at that point I I didn't want any I didn't want to be there for 10 more seconds I wanted to get out of there go crawl in my bed did they offer you the opportunity to ask some questions? They did, but I was in tears. What about after? Like, did they <laughs> say you can call us later? They did. So they Go did ahead. say that. Um, they. I remember them just talking about how somebody would call me with the results of the actual lab results when they came in, which came, I think, like two days later. By that time, I had come to terms with it. And she, the woman um, who called me was like, she called me and she was very 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 sweet and and she's giving some people some news that they may not be very happy about and thankfully I had already come to terms I knew what I had she was she was kind of bracing me for this news and said I, I know it's herpes you can tell me what type it is just so I know um and she's like oh okay <laughs> so I was her easiest call that day <laughs> oh wow um the way that you learned about how to communicate about sex, right? Um, you said that you're starting or you're new to kink and BDSM. Mm-hmm. Did you say something like that? I don't want to mm-hmm. put words in your mouth. Yeah. Okay. Now, my question to you is how has navigating that space been? Because I know that that is a very communicative space. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I'm, I am new to it because I'm still very beginner. Um, my partner and I have opened our relationship up in a sexual way since maybe six months ago so it's been a little bit new for me my partner's a little bit more experienced in that um I think I think the hardest part that I've seen is that on on certain apps people will say that they're clean (laughs) and and if I see that I honestly just swipe left because I don't I, I don't know. I, I almost don't want to be that educator. You kind of know where they're coming from <laughs> mm-hmm. with their and where their stigma, their stigma lies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably that not the most up, constructive thing, but it's it's just something I don't I don't like seeing that. That that brings up a really good point because um, we speak to taking care of ourselves and identifying you know when to disclose to someone if they're a person that is safe or feels safe to exchange dialogue with so it sounds like you have you know this may not be like an overt thing Mm -hmm. but like a filter in place for the kind of people that you're welcoming into your space sexually Mm -hmm. so the kind of person who uses the word clean when talking about sexual health is a kind of person who doesn't make it into your circle into your bubble Mm -mm. right they wouldn't make me feel safe Mm -hmm. and it makes me feel safe in an emotional way right Mm -hmm. yes i i it wouldn't i like and and i appreciate that they're if they say that they're tested regularly that's great but i always wonder is hsv on that test Mm -hmm. likely not because what we know that 
you're not tested unless you show symptoms. Oh, but I get tested for everything. <laughs> so there really isn't a way to know unless you insist on getting a blood test. But even still, the the um, I can't remember the the scientific name for the um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. The 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 different kind compound of compound that shows up in your blood that shows oh that antibodies have, yes all right i'm sorry i'm like <laughs> i was thinking what, what i'm i'm totally lost my thought there <laughs> okay. um uh, that's not that's depending on where your viral load is it can it can vary at different times mm-hmm. so it's it's really hard to test for yes yes um and yeah you do become that educator but also like it may not be received well if you're that educator and because it's on a dating app, people are going to receive it from a place of bias because you're positive. Of course you want for other people to be receptive to you and you want for them to know what their status is and get tested for it. Uh, like that's where people who have a negative status might be coming from. Mm-hmm. But also you have people who are just interested in you. And what I find in my experience is that when a person's attracted to you, they're attracted to you. And like mm-hmm. that's that. Mm-hmm. And from there, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 risks of everything, everything is a risk. You are taking a chance in swiping on somebody, falling in love and getting your heart broken. That's true. You are running a risk. When you get in your car, when you get on public transportation, when you walk outside, (laughs) anytime you take your mask down for a sip of water now, like it is always a risk, y'all. But we're we're taking that risk with boundaries, with uh, a prioritization for our safety. Yes, we want to do what we can to keep partners safe from exposure to the virus. But at the end of the day, there's only so much we can do. And also, we still need to be able to prioritize ourselves and prioritize our genuine needs and uphold our boundaries for ourselves with partners who might harm us not you know really not in a physical harming way but perhaps in an emotionally harming way (laughs) if that makes sense so speaking back to the uh communication component uh we weren't taught this in school Mm -mm. like we did not learn how to communicate about, I mean, I would argue anything. Like, we just didn't learn the communication (laughs) piece. Um, And I use this analogy for, like, recess. When we look at kink and BDSM, there's scenes, right? Play scenes. So at recess, learning how to play with others, learning how to set boundaries for the rules of games that you're going to play, being able to identify a yes and a no, and being able to respect that no, and also being able to say yes enthusiastically and also being able to know what you're getting into and know that if at any point you don't want to be involved in that game anymore, you can say no, you can leave, you don't have to be there. I think that these tools for boundaries also teach youth to be able to identify healthy or unethical or abusive behavior and be able to mitigate their exposure to it. In addition to uh, if they recognize it for themselves or with another person, a friend, a relative, they can also be there and support them and provide the support resources that they need in order to not have to um, go through 
it to the extent at which a lot of people end up going through it because so often like if we are equipped with these relationship management skills at youth when we become sexually active like that is far more useful than here's what chlamydia looks like this is what a herpes is you don't want this you get chlamydia and you die right <laughs> yeah this is so much it's more just fear-based education and yes. that's what we get i think in a lot of things and um that's what makes people prejudice and that's what makes people have hang-ups and and you know it all leads back to that yeah and look at how this statistically speaking you know if let's say one in four people have herpes right one in four people in that classroom when if they become sexually active might get herpes and the number of people that i talk to who have experienced suicidality or depression or just negative emotions or even just like feeling bad and like not wanting to tell anybody this because they're hurting and they want other people to feel what they feel so they're less alone all of this can be mitigated at that point of (laughs) of education Mm -hmm. and it's more important that we don't encourage youth and i use air quotes when i say encourage youth to be sexually active or be connected with their anatomy and understand sexuality and gender because all of this is it's all encompassing of those components that i just spoke to about boundaries consent and navigating abuse that's what we have to self-teach ourselves we learn that through our adult communication our adult relationships and it may be healthy it may not be healthy um and we might learn it we might not learn it right and the learning curve for informing yourself about these things that you are late to the party about can sometimes cause so much more harm than what could be prevented if we just are open to talking about sex with youth and in a way that isn't even really talking about sex because all of those components that I talked about while they are conversations that occur in the kink and BDSM community like you said you and your partner opened up your relationship and that required communication that required self-awareness that required trust that required things that are built uh, from ongoing open communication Mm -hmm. youth can learn that and then take that into adulthood but you had to learn it through trial and error through a bunch of different relationships (laughs) and mostly after having getting herpes i thought you were going to say something so i stopped (laughs) i was going to say mic drop (laughs) (laughs) oh you consider yourself to be someone who's sex positive yes what does that mean to you it means communication. I mean, I think just being communicative with your partner or other people who you're involving in your sex life and not, I guess, not having any judgment for others in terms of what others want and really just discovering what I really want too. I think I have a lot of repressed sexual energy that I haven't explored or not sexual energy because I I consider myself to be sexual, but a lot of repressed um, feelings about my sexuality. What I hear in that is self-reflection, self-exploration and Mm -hmm. self-discovery, self-expression. I hear a lot of self stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
it's so much of sex positivity is while you know the external focus is i'm accepting of whatever other people want to do it's really becoming accepting to the to whatever it is that may come up for you in Mm -hmm. your discovery in your exploration in your expression becoming accepting of yourself so that you can become accepting of other people um and what's so cool about you know this work now is that you know how you made it the positive singles. What I'm wanting to do is introduce people to sex positive world, um, just a realm of sex positivity. There's an organization called Sex Positive World where they talk about those things, uh, negotiating boundaries, talking about consent, understanding the trauma responses, knowing what a yes is, knowing what a no is, respecting it. And I want to bring people who find this podcast, who find this space, uh, into sex positivity because I believe that what I got out of being involved in sex positive communities has been like a shortcut (laughs) through the nine years that I've lived (laughs) with genital HSV almost 10 years now I think the uh the 10 years the decade that I've had Mm -hmm. HSV uh a lot of the lessons that I learned through relationships sex positive spaces have given me the language to process that like yeah i had these experiences some were great some were poor some were i don't really know but learning that there's language learning that there are words learning that there's a community that there is a lot of self-reflection and discovery and exploration and expression that has to occur that has occurred I felt like I was given the tools to process that. And so much of what came to me after my herpes diagnosis was about those non-sexual, those non-herpes related things. So like I've learned more how to disclose my status and have an open dialogue communication through the world of sex positivity and having these moments of reflection for myself than I have anything or anywhere else before. Mm -hmm. So... I'm hoping to um, be able to connect people who find something positive for positive people to that so that they don't have to go through positive singles, that they don't have to find these support groups and go through the trauma bonding experiences Mm -hmm. only to learn that this is what they need to learn. Your experience that you had going through uh, finding Reddit, learning how to communicate about your status, being able to have a space to practice that. These are the things that I find to be extremely useful to people who are navigating this space. Mm-hmm. So that's why I asked you about sex positivity. <laughs> it wasn't like a, hey, what's your sex life like? Like, <laughs> I, I thank you and appreciate the way that you were able to answer that question for me. Yeah, of course. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, we're coming to the end of this. I'm gonna wrap up and let you go. Um, we can talk about the experience that you had with the healthcare provider and how, you know, you, I mean, you mentioned wishing that, uh, it could have been different in some Mm -hmm. ways, but yeah, is there anything else? I think, I think just remembering, especially if you are somebody that has just been recently diagnosed. And I think I see this on Reddit a lot, or I saw it on Reddit a lot, the, it gets better posts or it, it, but in reality, in my experience, it did and it has, and it continues to be. I, it's not something that I even think about every single day anymore like I used to and that's with anything that that happens to you in your life I think you get used to it I think you come to terms with it but I think if you're somebody who has been recently diagnosed and you're feeling really down about it you you have the right to feel down about it you need to have that time to really think about 
how you're going to navigate your experience for the positive, but you are allowed to feel sad, but it's going to get better. And it truly does. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And, um, as always, I'm here. <laughs> if you need to connect, you want to reach out. Um, I'm here in the state of Port of Oregon. I'm in Portland. Um, putting together like in-person things and virtual things and resources, tools, and just really trying to solidify a sex-positive community, not just for myself, but for this community. Like I want for uh, sex positivity to be where people find themselves after a diagnosis, not herpes positivity and finding that there are just so many people out there who have the same experiences or shared experiences like the experiences are out there let's start practicing putting what we learn into play so let's start putting what we learn into practice i said that wrong i butchered that <laughs> comment <laughs> but no, seriously, all jokes aside, and you know, some of the things that I take away from our interview here today, Aaron, is um, like the information that we get is outdated from providers, and I've spoken to this about several podcasts uh, in several podcast episodes about our experiences with healthcare providers. Just we really need to know how to communicate with other partners because so much of it is I'm going to be alone because. We don't know this at the time, but we don't know how to talk about this to partners. And we assume that just because we might have dissed someone who told us that they had herpes, that a person that we disclosed to might not have already been disclosed to before or that they may not have been diagnosed with herpes themselves or that they might, you know, just like us and not really care. Right. <laughs> so um, I thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your space, your energy, for coming out here to do this and uh, for the interruptions we're outside it's a really lovely day and every chance that i get to enjoy this <laughs> portland sun i am so thank you for being here with me Aaron. thank you that concludes this episode of something positive for positive people please like rate review share subscribe to this podcast because it absolutely helps us out um the social media algorithms are not rocking with your boy because i'm talking about a topic under the umbrella of sex so whenever you can engage with the content please do if that means sharing a post if you're on instagram or reddit um you can follow me at h on my chest and um yeah stick around for events and these segues and introductions to sex positivity uh keep following the podcast and thank you for being here and continuing to support as long as you have i am on venmo and cash app if you want to donate to something positive which is a nonprofit organization that's how we were able to fund 12 podcast episodes here uh, with the oregon health authority and this being one of them but all your support has really been able been what i needed in order to help make this happen so thank you very much till next time stay sex positive <laughs>